0: Back to defeating distractions, this is a little two-part series I started two weeks ago, um, and no, I'm not distracted. That may have seemed like a distraction, you know, call it a distraction if you want. But do you easily get distracted? How many projects have you got sitting in your garage, in your basement, that you haven't finished? Anyone? Do you know that God is a finisher? God's a God that finishes. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. It says in his word that the end of a thing is better than the beginning. God loves us to finish. He does not start us on a process that he doesn't finish. In fact, he says, take account of what you're about to do to make sure you can finish. Right? He wants us to finish. But it's so easy to get sidetracked. I am so easily sidetracked and distracted. Anybody here ever been distracted driving? Your spouse said, yeah. Don't do that. Do you ever get distracted? And now with the technology of cell phones, man, it is just dangerous. It's worse than drunk driving. It's worse. It's worse. Then .1 or whatever the legal limit is, .08, staring at your cell phone is more dangerous than being at .08. That doesn't mean go get to .08 and start driving. I'm not saying that. <laughs> distractions are deadly. Distractions are defeating. But do you know our distractions are not people? I want you to get a word today that your issues is not with a person. It's not with your spouse. It's not with your boss. It says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil evil in the heavenly realms. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we just ask for your word to come alive in our spirit today. That we would be hearers and that we would apply that to be doers to your word. That, Lord, that we would hear truth and that, Lord, lies would be identified today. That you would identify false things, distractions that need to be removed. We just give you the right to speak to our hearts and speak to our spirit, speak to our minds today truth. Thank you, Lord. And help us to realize that we are not in battle with our brother. We are in battle with Satan. And, Lord, you have given us the ability and the tools to win. Help us in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. There are so many things out there trying to stop us, to throw us off course, to knock us down. But we started looking two weeks ago in Nehemiah chapter 6, as well as other scriptures, that Satan has many ways. But today we're going to talk about two main ways that he really tries to throw us off course. One of the primary ways is fear. And I've said this quite a few times. I'm going to continue to say it from this book that, I, that we as a staff read called The Seven Decisions. I would highly recommend it by Andy Andrews, I think. But he says that fear, fear is paying interest on a home that you'll never live in. And what he means is most things that we fear never even happen or even have the possibility of happening. But that fear so steers us off course that we miss where we're supposed to go. Uh, We sang all about it this morning, about waves crashing and God calling us out. And, you know, we just got back from the beach. And it's so funny to watch my family the first day that we get to the beach and everybody's concerns for sharks. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of like plane crashes. You know, I don't know anyone, where they hardly ever happen. I've never been near one. I've, you know, there's so many other things. Near one. Huh? At you were near one. A, a shark attack? Oh, no. A shark. You don't, you don't Distraction. <laughs> we did go to a, a beach off the beaten path, and there was like a 4 or 5 foot shark with a little dorsal fin just going right around. It was it was the coolest thing ever to see, but the women started screaming and yelling and, blah, 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 and you know and we're like we're on the beach. We're staring at it. We're not in the water. Anyway. Here's all these thousands of people in the water and you know our family's like Not really. But can you imagine Going to the ocean and not getting in. Can you imagine never experiencing a wave or the sand or the taste of salt water? But can you imagine never have tasted that? You know what it tastes like. And riding a wave and getting crashed by a wave. And having your back turned and trying to play with your kids, and you don't see them coming, and they don't tell you it's coming. (laughs) It's the same way with relationship. You get one relationship that hurts your heart, you separate yourself, and you never get back in the water. Forgetting or never even knowing what a great relationship can be to you something that can never be replaced. You can't substitute a relationship. Or your walk with God. It's we we, we saying about it where he's calling us out to more. He wants more. But we get our feet into the ankles and say, God, that's about all I'm willing to give you. And he's saying, oh, but I've got so much more. You can stay there. I'm going to love you right where you are, even if you just stay at ankle deep. But there's so much more. And if you really get off the shore, there's so much more. You get your feet so deep that you can't touch the bottom. Now you're at the full mercy of God. So we have to recognize that fear throws us off course. But how else does Satan cause us to stumble? And it's through flattery. It's through giving us words incorrect words that throw us off that build us up that make us think one thing and go in the wrong direction let me go back about fear it says that satan is looking about waiting to devour someone but then when it comes to flattery it says that he masquerades himself as an angel of light his words sound good they even sometimes come close to truth close you know Satan knows the word and he knows how to twist it he masquerades but do you know that scripture tells us in second Corinthians that we are not unaware of his schemes those that have asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior have followed him gotten in his word been filled with his spirit he begins to teach us the schemes of the enemy So when that enemy comes and that word comes, we should be able to tell the difference. We should have that equipping. Nehemiah chapter 6, we started looking last week at it but I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. There's this guy called Sandballot, and his scheming friends have been trying to stop the building of this wall and they realize they can't be successful so they go and attack Nehemiah by trying to subtly persuade him to stop what he's doing. If you remember from two weeks ago it even said that Nehemiah was doing a great work but that these guys were trying to get him away from there. Go to another city and do something else and Nehemiah said No. I must stick to what I'm doing. But I want you to know that many, many times, if not every time you try to make a major life change in your life, especially for Christ, they come out of the woodwork to try to distract you and throw you off. Sometimes even people that know God. Now I want you to hear me. Christians can give bad advice. I want you to know that I have given bad advice. I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm in the Word every single day, and I still have a tendency sometimes to give bad advice. Why? Because my words get ahead of my spirit. Anybody ever had that happen? You said something that you didn't even think? You didn't even, it's not even true. That came out of my mouth, and I didn't even mean that. But it's gone. It says, be slow to speak. Why? Why? Because most of it doesn't need to be said. So we have to be careful with the words that we're saying, this flattery and fear. So Sandballot here is trying to now stop um, Nehemiah. And sometimes these distractions may even be good distractions. But let's pick up in Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 10. It says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and the son of uh, Mehedabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. This false prophet is claiming to have hidden knowledge. And he he makes this phrase, um, it tells us that he was shut in at his home. Now I want you to know that he was secluding himself for some religious reason and this is very frequent the case of someone that's in the occult or psychics that claim to be in touch with the invisible world. They sit in the semi-darkness creating this atmosphere, this sense of mystery as though they know things that no one should know. But what, sound, but what he says sounds logical. He says some people are out to get you and they're going to kill you. And Nehemiah agrees. Now I want you to know that when the enemy starts speaking to you, it's going to be close enough to the truth to get you to go along with it. If the enemy shows up at your door and says, hey, let's go worship Satan, I would hope you'd say, uh, no. Something doesn't sound right about that. Let me go pray about it. No, I can go ahead and say no to that. I don't need to pray about that. I can say no. Something in my spirit says no. I can say no. But he's saying someone is trying to kill you, which was true. People were trying to get to Nehemiah. But what, he, what sounds logical, some are out to get you, some are trying to kill you, Nehemiah believes it. But then the man says, come on up out of here and we'll go into the temple and shut the doors. They will, da- they, they will dare not, not dare attack you there. Now, that sounds good. But uh, there is a check in Nehemiah's spirit saying, wait a minute, something's wrong with that because Nehemiah knows that he is not permitted in the temple. Only the priests were permitted in the temple. Nehemiah knows God. He knows the word. This person is coming with some truth even to entice him saying, have you ever had someone come up and just kind of say, man, I know things are going tough for you and it it seems like nothing can go right. What, What do you do? You just buy in. You're right. It is bad. Thanks for noticing. It's so bad. We love to gloom despair. Let's talk about how bad things are. Man, come on. I don't like talking about bad things. We need to deal with bad things, but let's don't live there. So here they come and say, I know people are trying to kill you. And Nehemiah's like, yeah, they are. And the people are after you. Yeah, they are. So let's go do this. Mm." Now, dangling the carrot in front of him, he immediately says, wait, something's wrong. We're not supposed to go in. And look what he says in verse 11. Church, this is so... Key. This is such a huge verse right here that I want you to go home with today. He says, but I said, should a man like me? What I want you to catch is he is going back to who he is in Christ. Who am I? Before I go and walk off this cliff with you, who am I? Should a man like me run away, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life, I will not go. Knowing who you are in God is vital. When you don't know who you are, you will go with anyone. But Nehemiah takes this back, not selfishly, not conceitedly, but says, wait a minute, who am I? Who am I? I'm John, John Sorry, there's a little lame is there? But it's such a huge part of that story. He continues to come back to who he is, and I want to ask you, who are you? You are the king's kid. You are a you are the the uh, uh, the pearl of great price the whole field he would buy just for you for that pearl in that field that's who you are when you start getting enticed by Satan to go off and jump off a cliff yes, come on. but it's a good cliff and you won't hit that hard I mean yeah it'll probably kill you but you probably won't feel it come on and jump with me duh okay that's what we say Who are you? Should a man like me run away, he realizes who he is and who his identity in the Lord. And what's being said is contrary to his command. And he says, I cannot come down. I will not go in. I love his bluntness. There comes a time where we've got to kind of set aside our feelings and make a decision and say no. If I hurt your feelings, then we'll process that later, but I'm still not jumping off the cliff with you. Who am I? And by the way, who are you? Having the right priorities gave Nehemiah the courage to do what was right. Listen to me. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it is the tenacity to do what's right while you face fear. It's the strength to do the right thing even though fear is at your door. That's That's what courage is. It's not a matter of saying just no to distractions. We have to say yes to the right things so that our priorities match up with God's priorities. And as we keep the main thing the main thing, we will be able to deal with distractions just the way Nehemiah did. Next verse, verse 12, I realized God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Samballot had heard him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. It was all part of the plan to distract and discourage the people from following Nehemiah's lead. Fueled by jealousy and ambition, these enemies slandered him and tried to trick him into yielding to their demands. We have got to be aware of the attack of the enemy. Don't take someone else's advice or do what a friend asks you just because they're a nice person. Do you know that there is a story of a prophet that went to give a message, a man that went to give a message, and the Lord had said, I don't want you to stop. I don't want you to eat anywhere. I want you to go and give this message and come back. He went and gave the message, and on his way back, someone came and said, hey, stop and eat with me. Come stay with me. And the man said, no, the Lord said not to. And the man said, wait a minute. The Lord told me you're supposed to come to my house. So he went. And it was against God. Because someone's close to you, because you love them and they're your best friend, doesn't mean they're always going to give you good advice. Again, I want you to know, that I am not some wise person, I, but I, I, I have given bad advice. Thank you. But we are capable of giving bad advice. Not only do we need to know the advice of others being given to us, we need to know the advice that we're giving to others measured up against God's word, against God's spirit, against God's body. How does it fit? Does what I'm saying to my brother line up with God's word or does it just line up with the world? It's both ways. I need the spirit of God. I need the word of God and I need the body in my life so much that I can discern Satan. We must be aware And we must have a deep sense of our true identity as a believer. Should a man like me run and hide and try to save his life by wrong approaches and unlawful practices, he falls back on who he is and what he's been called to do. Nehemiah meets this attack of the enemy with prayer. I love how Nehemiah just does these little popcorn prayers. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they've done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she is, and the rest of the prophets have been trying to humiliate me. If you remember before, uh, right in the midst of Sanballat trying to entice him away, he just prayed, God, give me courage, give me strength to finish what I'm supposed to do. Now he's saying, God... Pay attention to these enemies. Help me know what they're saying to be wrong and let me stay on target of what I'm supposed to do. I love these little short prayers right in the midst of conversation. Give me strength, Lord. Give me strength, Lord. Verse 15. So the wall was completed of the 25th of all in 52 days. When our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. The enemy, not only it got completed, it got completed sooner than usual, and the enemy started testifying to God doing the work. I love that. God will not be denied, and he will not be denied through Nehemiah. He will not be denied through you. That's right. Come on. He will make you a great nation. Yes. He will bless you in the city and out of the city, coming and going. Even the enemies had to, had to admit God was at work. What an awesome picture of the Christian witness in the community. Their foes have to agree. But wouldn't you think now it's done? Wall's well, done, Nehemiah's successful, now let's just go right into the sunset and lived happily ever after. Isn't that, wouldn't, it, wouldn't we all like that? We overcame and we never had to overcome again. Anybody ever had to overcome more than once? Perfect reaction. <laughs> what I had to overcome coming to church this morning. I didn't. Well, yeah, I did. We got home to a broken air conditioner. Glory to God. And it's where we sleep. Praise Jesus. we were doing a lot of praying. Lord, let the windows, let the cool wind of your Holy Spirit blow through here. 82 degrees all night long. I slept in the basement. I did. Nice 70 degrees. Praise the Lord. Oh, distraction. Squirrel. So, was he done? No, he wasn't. Let's look at verse 17. I'm almost done. Also, in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah. Replies from Tobiah kept coming in. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was a son in law to Shekinah, son of Arah, and Jehoanah. And he married the daughter of Mesholom, son of Barakah. I got through that a lot better that time than I did first service. What's he saying? Tobiah had intermarried with Israelites and he is starting to exploit that relationship. He was seeking to undermine Nehemiah's influence by gossip. Did you see the letters kept coming in? How many of you have had victory only followed by people? And it won't stop. If I had to encourage my family sometimes with some of this that's gone on, is just don't reply. Don't reply, it will stop. It will stop. Keep your mouth shut. Let's pray. Let's not let bitterness grow because it wants to. And if it does, it's okay. Just deal with it. You get mad, it's okay. Be mad and don't sin. What you do with that anger is going to get you in trouble. But keep your mouth shut. Don't join in. And I want you to know it will end. Sometimes it's some kind of storm you got to ride out. But God's word says, his word will not return void and every tongue that rises up against you shall be defeated. You've just got to hang on. You've just got to hang on. But these words kept coming. And then verse 19, moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and telling them what I'd said. And Tobias sent letters to intimidate me. The words just kept coming. Nehemiah's built the wall, built it in record time. The enemy was saying how God had really worked through Nehemiah. But here keeps coming these words. Many of you in your workplaces trying so hard to do well, trying to do the godly thing and people won't shut up. Hang in there. You keep doing the right thing. Who are you? You keep saying to yourself, who am I? I will stick to what I've been called to do and I will stand. I will not succumb to what these words are saying and I'm not going to join in. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and let God do the speaking for me. But God, as Nehemiah said, don't forget me. Remember me. Help me. Help me to stay strong. They kept reporting. Now I want you to know, church, after you've overcome, Satan doesn't quit he never quits. You're not done until you breathe your last breath. So don't put your guard down. Keep your guard up. You ever seen boxers as they take shots into their rib cage, their arms come down. Keep your arms up. You're going to take blow after blow after blow. Keep your arms up. Keep the word coming out of your mouth. Keep full of the Spirit. Stay connected to the body. Don't get sidetracked over here and locked up in your home like that dude that got shut in because you're in trouble. Stay connected. Get connected to a life group. Get connected to a person. Get connected to people. Keep your arms up. They kept intimidating me. Letters to keep intimidating me. God has wonderful blessings and much encouragement and joy for us along the way, but we can't stop battling the world, the flesh, and the devil until we get to heaven. The enemy is never going to quit. If he can't distract you with fear and with flattery, he'll use gossip and false accusations. So as I close and end this series on distractions, I want to give you two action steps to take Two action steps from Nehemiah. Number one, practice saying yes. Now, we have come into a time in our society, in our world, where we're learning to say no. It's very important to learn to say no, especially in the church. It's called boundaries. It's kind of a new buzzword over the last 10 years is setting up healthy boundaries. Boundaries are good. I want to give you an example of children at a playground. If you build a playground with no fence around it, studies have shown that they will just stay close, a close-knit group kind of to where the the (coughs) the equipment is. Because there is no boundary for them to know where to go. But if you put a fence up, they wind up exploring the entire area. Boundaries are healthy. They're good for kids. They're good for adults to know how far I can go. Where is my limit? But the problem with the church now today, church people, is we've started to really learn how to say no We've started to learn. Thank you. I'm, getting, I'm having a nosebleed, so everybody, just hanging there with me. Oh no, yeah. no. I'm going to finish. Um, boundaries. We've so learned how to say no that we say no to the right things. We've got to relearn how to say yes. As a church, as a staff, we desperately need you to say yes to the right things. God has got a right thing for you to do in the church. God has got a right thing for you to do as a career. God has got a right path for you with your marriage. And it's not saying no to everything. There are times to say yes, even as you're setting up boundaries. What What happened in the past is so many people said yes to everything. You were no good at anything same thing at work, same thing at marriage. Be good at two or three things. Be great at it and let these other things be done by other people. You can't do everything. I've tried it. It's set up for failure. I'm terrible at doing everything. I'm good at one or two things and that's questionable. No comment. I heard a story about a Native American who came to a city with a city person, and he, he was walking down the street, busy street, and said, I hear a cricket. And the guy said, oh, you're crazy. All I hear is the traffic and people talking. And he reached over, found it, and picked it up. At the same time, this Native American threw out some coins. And when the coins hit the ground, everybody walking around heard it, stopped what they were doing, and started walking toward where those coins were. And the, the, the moral to that, the point to that is, we are programmed to hear what we want to hear. You can be in the midst of the most important thing in your life, And your phone go off and you stop what you're doing and give that your full attention. We all do it. I'm not telling you that you're necessarily bad, but we have those coin sounds that we will stop the most important things. God's priorities that we know is the most important thing. And we will stop doing it and go down a a tangent and never look back. We need the Holy Spirit to show us what is important and the strength and the courage to hang in there. We also need the Holy Spirit to show us what isn't important and to learn to press the ignore button. You ever ignore people on your phone? Yes. Those may be the things you need to answer. you ever thought that? You're ignoring the wrong thing, especially if it's your wife. Or your husband. Okay, well, I'll leave that one there. Second, practice, uh, practice saying no. Everybody say no. You've got to say no to that ding. You've got to say no to those emails. You've got to say no to that person coming in your office trying to throw you off of what your boss has told you to do. When God has given you a directive, you've got to say no to the things that try to stop you from what He's called you to do. How many of you try to read your Bible every morning and you get distracted and you don't finish it? That was a weird response. A good example that I struggle with is mine and Elizabeth's quality time on Saturday morning. It is a fight, it's not a fight. We don't fight about it, but I'm telling you, it does not come easy, does it? You want to do it. Or you want to make sure that we accomplish that every single week. I don't want to say I don't, but it's not at the top of my list. I don't even know that it's on my list. Listen, I'm just being transparent here. I'm not trying to say I'm anti-connecting with my wife. I'm not. I love to connect with my wife. <laughs> Listen, are, are we real or are we not? Come on. We're adults here. But what's important? What's distracting? Can you just ask the Lord right now, what's distracting me? What's distracting?